0: Hi, everybody. Welcome to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung, Jr. And along with my brother Rick, we examine current events in the light of God's prophetic word. Rick, uh, as I wake up every day, there are so many stories that we could cover in this program. We obviously don't have enough time to cover, but how do we make a decision on which stories to cover?
1: Well, Jimmy, as students of Bible prophecy, we know in particular what we're looking for here. We're looking at certain nations that are involved in the end time scenario. And it's easy, Jimmy, because as you take a look at it, all of those nations are the ones that are at the forefront of the news. Anyways, it seems like they're following the playbook of getting set up for the end time scenario to happen.
0: Yes, and to understand Bible prophecy, you have to know the timeline, and we always talk about the events and how it's leading and where they fit in. Everything that we will be talking on the program today sets up an event after the rapture of the church. Remember, there are three events to take place in the future. There's the rapture. That's the next thing to happen on God's calendar. That's first mentioned in John chapter 14, when Jesus was in the upper room speaking to his disciples telling them that he would go away to prepare a place for them. But when he was ready and when God told him, he would come back and receive us unto himself at the rapture of the church. Paul talked about it in First Thessalonians 4. After that, the seven-year period of the tribulation begins. And that begins when the Antichrist confirms a peace treaty with the nation of Israel. That's Daniel chapter 9. That seven-year period of time goes all the way from Revelation chapter 6 to Revelation chapter 19. Matthew chapter 24. Luke chapter 21. That all talks about the tribulation period. And all these events that we cover today are all leading up to events that will happen in the tribulation period. And then, of course, at the end of the seven-year period of time when Jesus Christ comes back to the earth, that's when he sets up his earthly kingdom his throne in the city of Jerusalem. And we're going to talk about that today on the program. There's so many things that we're going to be talking about, Rick. We've got to get going. Let's get started with Ken Timmerman.
1: That's right, Jimmy. Ken Timmerman joins us. He is an author. He's an analyst. Frequent guest on this program. His latest book, And the Rest is History, is a memoir of sorts for for Ken. And it's, it's an excellent read for those that would like to read it. And you can find out more about him by going to KenTimmerman.com. Ken, as always, thank you for joining us.
2: Well, thanks for having me on, Rick. It's uh, always a pleasure.
1: Well, Ken, we'll start this week with the biggest news story of the week, and that is President Biden making a surprise visit to Ukraine. Can you tell us a little bit about why he did that and what happened when he was there?
2: Well, for one thing, Rick, he wanted to divert attention from this disastrous derailment In East Palestine, Ohio, you have now that people of that city, which uh, has been neglected by the federal government until this week, have been clamoring for aid. Uh, You had the newly elected U.S. senator from Ohio, J.D. Vance, going there and and taking this really dramatic video, which he shared on social media, stirring up with a stick. The chemicals that were clinging to rocks at the bottom of a local stream. And this has all been ignored by the feds. Uh, Buttigieg, the transportation secretary, didn't go out there until this week and only after former President Trump showed up. You know, they say in politics, showing up is 90% of the game. And Buttigieg was finally forced to go there. So Biden now shows up in Ukraine. It has been a year since the war began. And if people can kind of dial back into their heads to the beginning of the conflict, Washington was telling the American people and Congress that Russia would be in Kyiv within two to three days. Uh, They would overthrow the government. They offered to evacuate Zelensky and his family. And that is when Zelensky graduated to become a world-class leader, responding to Biden saying, I need weapons, not a ride out. So Biden is trying to position himself as the leader of a global alliance to support Ukraine, especially a Western alliance to support Ukraine. It's been a tough go. Uh, Countries like Hungary have really not been very eager to support this effort. Italy has not been very eager. Germany has lagged up until just recently. So this was really a political stunt. And you heard the aircraft sirens going off while Biden was there. I don't know if Kyiv was under attack, but it's not beyond uh, this president or Zelensky to stage those air raid sirens during the visit.
3: Well, I
1: agree with you, Ken. It's very hard to ignore the politics of all this, and there certainly seem to be a lot of politicking going on. But this comes with the risk, does it not? Because in uh, Vladimir Putin, of course, we don't agree with this war of aggression that he has on Ukraine. But in him, if you back this man into a corner and the more we support and the more we support Ukraine, you know, there's a chance he he's a man that has nothing to lose. So this, quote unquote, political stunt kind of comes with the risk, doesn't it?
2: Well, I think it does. And, and I think this administration in Washington has been extraordinarily reckless. I think they are to a large extent. Uh, the cause of Russia's invasion last year by insisting on bringing Ukraine into NATO. It was clear for uh, many years before that, that that was a red line for the Russians. They wanted to see Ukraine as a buffer state, as a demilitarized buffer state. And now you can think of that what you will, uh, but it was a announced policy and it was publicly known and the U.S. said, no, no, we're going to push the frontiers of NATO closer to Russia. This is something that every president since George H.W. Bush has been worried about, has guarded against doing, and the Russians have constantly warned, don't bring NATO closer to our frontiers. And yet the Biden people did it. And guess what happened? We had a war. We now have a war that's been going on for a year.
1: Well, certainly exemplifies the fact that foreign policy has consequences dating all the way back to Afghanistan and President Biden's response there and now looking at what's going on in Ukraine. But if we continue to talk about the politics of this whole situation, Ken, this war is costing the United States taxpayers a lot of money. And is that just politically speaking, I'm not even necessarily saying what's the right or wrong thing to do, but politically speaking, how much longer can we continue to spend that money? Can President Biden continue to push continuing aid to Ukraine like this?
2: Well, I, I hate to say this, Rick, but uh, probably a very long time or at least until America's creditors decide to pull the plug uh, on giving us more credit and buying more treasury bonds. Biden announced a new aid package while he was in Kiev with uh, Zelensky, bringing the total uh, aid to, to about 100 and 113, 113, $113 billion to Ukraine so far in just one year. Uh, th- that's not just military aid. There's, half of that is military aid. Uh, the rest of it is going to support the Ukrainian government and uh, pay the salaries and the retirement pensions of Ukrainian officials. Pretty extraordinary if you think that uh, you know, Americans are paying taxes to our government, not to So elder Americans can retire a little bit more comfortably, not so the poor don't have to go begging on the streets, but so Ukrainian officials can get paid a monthly salary. I think a lot of Americans are a little bit disturbed about that. There was a a bill introduced this past week by Marjorie Taylor Greene, a conservative member of the new Republican majority in the House to audit the aid going to Ukraine when you have that much cash sloshing around. And remember, only 46 billion of the 113 was in military aid. When you have that much cash sloshing around, you can be guaranteed a lot of it goes to waste. So Congress is now starting to ask questions about that waste.
1: Well, the old joke goes, a billion here, a billion there, and pretty soon you have real money. And this is certainly real money. Well, final question on our foreign policy there. What and, and I'm asking you kind of to take off your, your reporter hat and kind of give me your opinion. What should our role be in Ukraine? What is America's interest in Ukraine? And how should we be responding to that situation?
2: Well, look, Rick, we clearly have an interest in blocking Russian aggression. But we also have to be honest. We did an awful lot to initiate, to provoke that aggression. This war has to end. It's time for the war to end. Ukraine is in ruins, uh, the Russians uh, doing their very best to uh, destroy um, a good part of the east of the country. And guess who's going to be footing the bill to rebuild Ukraine after the war ends? It will probably be us. I've heard estimates as much as a trillion dollars to rebuild Ukrainian infrastructure and uh, you know cities that have been bombed by the Russians. This war has become an insanity. It's time for it to end. It's time for both parties to sit down to find a political solution. And instead of the U.S. sitting back and saying, well, you know, we will not end the war until Russia leaves all of Ukrainian territory, which, by the way, it's occupied since 2014, this is not new, the occupation in Eastern uh, Ukraine or the Crimea. So for the US to push that demand of uh, President Zelensky of a total uh, Russian withdrawal is I think unrealistic. It's not going to happen. So it's time to start looking for compromise. Remember Israeli uh, Prime Minister Naftali Bennett uh, thought he had mapped out a uh, compromise a year ago, just weeks after the war began, and it was rebuffed by the Biden administration. It's time to get the warmongers in Washington from both political parties to back off and start looking at a political solution.
1: Well, to that end, and I'm not sure how serious uh, an option this is, but to that end, Russian ally China, and we talk about them a lot as being Russian allies, they have actually put out a ceasefire proposal.
2: Uh, it's pretty extraordinary when we have to rely on the Chinese to put out a ceasefire proposal. We should have done this months ago. Uh, By the way, the U.S. is just dismissing it out of hand. But here is really the bottom line on this, Rick, and is really important. A year ago, Russia and China were kind of dancing towards each other, slowly uh, dancing towards each other. Today, they are in a full embrace on the dance floor and they're whirling around and they're whirling each other around and they got there because we pushed them together. The United States government has gone out of its way, perhaps unwittingly, perhaps through incompetence, but those are the facts that the United States government has gone out of its way to create the Ezekiel 38 uh, alliance between Russia and China and also Iran. And that's what we are facing today. It's happening in front of our eyes.
0: Ken, we got to take a break. But when we come back, I want to find out the regime change in Iran and their nuclear program that's taking place right now. We'll take a break right here on Prophecy Today weekend. <laughs>
4: i Kramer with Mission Network News. Ukraine passes a grim milestone today. It has now been one year since Russia invaded. The war has had a devastating impact on the country's economy and infrastructure, with more than 8,000 civilians killed and thousands more injured. Eric Mock of Slava Gospel Association says Ukrainian churches are still getting aid and gospel hope to their people. Pray for peace and Christ's comfort in Ukraine. And find your place in the story at missionnews.org. And hopes were high in December when China announced it was dropping the zero COVID policy and things started to open up. Today, the economy isn't bouncing back as quickly as hoped. Chinese people are leaving the country on vacation or forever and taking their money with them. Yet, Bibles for China now has access to people groups they couldn't reach before in China. Pray for the gospel to move through newly opened doors. Mission Network News is a service of One Way Ministries. I'm Ruth Kramer.
5: Please call Joshua Travel today and see how we can make your trip extra special. Call 423-821-3635 or visit us online at joshuatravel.com.
0: Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung, Jr. Along with Rick, we're examining current events in the light of God's prophetic word. Ken, you ended up your last answer with Ezekiel 38 war. And Rick... When we look at it, these are the nations that are involved in Ezekiel 38. Well, that's right, Jimmy,
1: and that's the next place I wanted to go to with Ken. Ken, let's talk about Iran. The protests continue there. There's some strong voices coming out. Calling for regime change. Now, I'm not sure that's going to happen. Maybe you could speak a little bit about that, but they continue to develop nuclear weapons even to new levels, correct?
2: Yes. But first, about regime change, what's extraordinary about the protests, Rick, uh, and it's very important. I've been speaking with a lot of Iranians over the past couple of weeks. I was in a conference in Washington, also addressing Iranian Americans. What's extraordinary is that you have all of the opposition from left to right to monarchists, to the minorities, the Kurdish and the Baluchi minorities, everybody now agrees there must be regime change. And I think this is eroding, not even the popularity of the regime, because they don't have a great deal of popularity, but their legitimacy, very important. The protests are first in one city, then another. They're roving. I don't think you're going to see a massive nationwide protest on a regular basis. There will be incidents and there will be new waves of protests. But this is going to be continuous, Rick. We are going to see continuous protests. Just Friday, we saw in uh, Zahadan, which is the capital of Iranian Balochistan, in the eastern part of the country on the border with Pakistan. In Zahadan, the Revolutionary Guards tried to... Invade and take over uh, the, one of the largest mosques led by the Sunni prayer leader, Molavi, Abdul Hamid. Abdul Hamid has become one of the voices of the opposition. Up until recently, the Baluchi Sunni minority in Iran has kept pretty quiet. They have been economically deprived, no development projects in that part of the country. It's extremely poor, and they are Sunnis. This is something that most Americans, and I can tell you even Americans in the intelligence community, are not very aware of. Iran, we think of as Persia. We think of Iranians as Persians. They, only half of Iranians are Persians. The other half are uh, Baluchis, Sunnis, Kurds, Sunnis, Azeris, Sunnis. Roughly half of the country is Sunni Muslim, and they do not feel represented by this Shiite clerical regime in Tehran. This has always been one of the fracture points, one of the weak points uh, in the regime. I have talked about this for a number of years at the Joint Counterintelligence Training Academy in Quantico, Virginia, where I was teaching about this to uh, people in the U.S. intelligence community. Uh, It is tremendously important. And now finally, we are seeing it. Uh, We are seeing that the Sunnis and the Kurds and the minorities come together with their Persian brothers and sisters, all Iranians, to demand regime change.
1: Well, so interesting, the internal dynamics of what's taking place between the Sunnis and the Shia in Iran. But I would like to find out a little bit more, Ken, about this enrichment. The the nuclear program is going
2: to new levels, isn't it? It is extremely dangerous, and the Iranians themselves admitted this past week that they had enriched to 84%. The last time we visited this, Rick, they were at 60%. Remember, the official number for weapons-grade uranium is 93%. Going from 60 to 93 is a matter of days. Going from 84% to 93 is perhaps a matter of one day or two. Israel has been saying recently, uh, Israeli leaders have been saying, uh, current and former uh, leaders, including the prime minister, that Israel will not allow Iran to enrich up to military grade. Well, they are there. And one thing that we learned this past week on Tuesday, uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu spoke publicly at a security forum in Israel, and he said the time to strike is sooner than later, the longer Israel wait to launch military strikes on Iran's nuclear facilities, the harder it will be to take them out, Netanyahu said. We also learned this week that he had had five meetings over the past couple of weeks with his top security aides, not just the chief of the general staff, not just the head of Mossad, but also the head of military intelligence and the head of other intelligence organizations as well. I believe, and I've said this uh, recently on this show, I believe Israel is gearing up for military strikes on Iran. A year ago, that was not the case.
1: Well, Ken, things seem to be happening at such a rapid pace, both in Europe, Eastern Europe, and then also in the Middle East with Israel and Iran. Well, we appreciate you helping to walk us as a guide through these situations. So many things taking place, so many different facets. You do an excellent job of explaining it. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Look forward to talking to you again soon.
2: Thanks so much, Rick. And let me just add one thing is that if the Israelis do strike those Iranian military facilities, the nuclear facilities, I believe the Iranian people will rise up, not in support of the regime, but against the regime and say, look what you have done to our nation. You have called military strikes against us by your irresponsible actions.
1: Very interesting, Ken. Thanks so much for that
2: report. God bless, Rick.
1: Well, Jimmy, this is the section of the program where we have our Middle East News update. And joining us this week, as he typically does, is Dave Dolan. He's an author. He's a Bible teacher. Dave, thank you for being with us. Happy to be with you, Rick. Well, Dave, we'll get started quickly this week. And the first thing I'd like to talk about, the IDF had a raid in Nablus. Can you tell us what happened there?
3: Yes, Rick. It was actually the deadliest attack or incident, I should say, in the last 20 years. Uh, 11 Palestinians were killed and over 100 were wounded. That took place in Nablus the biblical Shechem, where, of course, uh, Joseph is buried right uh, in the south part of the city. That has become, Nablus, a hotbed of Hamas and Islamic Jihad and Iranian-sponsored activity in the past several years as the PA has basically stopped enforcing its security uh, over the city even though it's under their full control supposedly and of course further to the north in genin we've had the same situation the idf went in wednesday morning with a pretty substantial force they were going after three wanted palestinian terrorist leaders that they said were uh, had plotted and were responsible for the death of a israeli soldier last october and they did end up blowing up the building that the three were in and killing them But other Palestinians, it was a mid-morning raid, which is unusual, Rick. They usually go in early morning or late night so as to minimize uh, other people being involved. But it was mid-morning, so the Palestinians came out of the woodwork with guns and rocks and everything, and firefights ensued. And amazingly, no Israelis were wounded or killed, but in the firefight, uh, some civilians were killed, Palestinians that aren't wanted or in in that sort of way, so it uh, evoked the usual loud protests and screams from the PA, from um, the other Arab uh, countries around, and of course from Hamas and Islamic Jihad, it triggered some rockets into uh, southern Israel, uh, six in total. The Iron Dome took out five of them, and one was headed to an open field, so they just let it fall. The situation, of course, still remains very, very tense, and the Palestinians are saying uh, in the Gaza Strip that they're going to continue their war against Israel and continue to launch rockets as they see fit into Israel. Well, David, unfortunately, this is something that we've seen before. Hopefully,
1: Israel will be able to keep it under control. Let's move on politically in Israel and talk about the judicial reform that has been proposed by the new government. It is very contentious, even to the point where a former prime minister, Ehud Barak, is saying that Israeli citizens should disobey the government even elite IDF soldiers. This is getting out of hand a little bit,
3: isn't it? Yes, it's rhetorically, Rick, escalated to the point of civil war, frankly, if I can put it that way. Ehud Barak, of course, hates uh, Bibi Netanyahu. They were They ran against each other in 1999, and he's always attacking Netanyahu, but he made these very strong comments this week that Israel is becoming a dictatorship, that it's losing its democracy, that it's in danger of losing financial support from around the world and political support from the U.S. and Europe and elsewhere. Some very strong statements, but the most controversial was the comments you made that the soldiers, elite soldiers, should consider not showing up for their uh, reserve calls, that they should disobey orders if they feel they're wrong, because this is a dictatorship uh, forming in Israel, uh, is what he said. And we had some of them saying that this is not a judicial reform, but a judicial coup Taking place. And again, to remind the listeners, the government is proposing that uh, it be allowed to appoint all justices from now on uh, on its own, whereas before there were outside committees and others that had a role in that, that it alone would uh, propose it. The problem, of course, in Israel's system, as we discussed last week, is the parliament is also where the government comes out of. So you don't have, as in the states, the president proposing someone for the court, and then the Senate votes on it, and that may be controlled by the other party at times. And you have a real fight there. In this case, the prime minister is the head of the largest party and uh, has a coalition majority in the parliament, presumably. So whoever he would push forward would almost automatically get uh, chosen. And there's some other reforms that people are, are upset about, but the rhetoric is getting very, very hot. It's very ominous, frankly.
0: David, we got to take a break. But this does sound like the two-stick prophecy of Ezekiel 37 that we've always talked about. We've done a program on it. we talked about the two sticks separated and then being brought back together, and that takes place at the end of the tribulation period. And I think we're seeing the beginning of it right now in Israel. Let's take a break. And uh, when we come back, David, I want to ask you about is there a political solution to this? Because I think the country is at odds. We'll be right back right here on Prophecy Today weekend.
5: Just how close are we to the rapture of the church? Do events taking place in the Middle East and around the world have prophetic significance? In his latest book, Sound the Trumpets, Jimmy DeYoung examines these questions and explains just how near the rapture of the church could possibly be. By comparing four trends from prophetic scripture to current events taking place in the world today, Jimmy shows that the stage is set, every actor is in place, and the curtain is about to go up on the end-time scenario set forth in the scriptures. Sound the Trumpets is a must-read for every serious student of Bible prophecy. To order your copy of Jimmy DeYoung's new book, Sound the Trumpets, for only $15, call us today at 8-PROPHECY-8. That's 877-674-3298. Or visit us on the World Wide Web at prophecytoday.com. Call today and make sure to get your copy of Sound the Trumpets.
0: Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung, Jr. And along with Rick... We're examining current events in the light of God's prophetic word. And right now we're talking to David Dolan. And David, as we look at Israel, I'll be there in about a week and a half. I'll be in Israel. I want to check on this myself. But there is polarization in the country between the the left and the right. Do you see a political solution in the future? Well, an
3: opinion survey was released this week that showed that if elections were held right now, that the left would come out on top and the right-wing bloc would go down, would lose 10 seats and would not be able to form a government. But the reality is they did win. 64 seats in the last election, a majority in the 120 Knesset, and they ran on these proposed changes. The opinion surveys show they're very popular amongst the center to right wing of uh, Israelis, not the left, but there's no question that the Supreme Court there has been, which they call the High Court in Hebrew, they have been uh, too activist, too interfering in legislation. And, um, you know, that there needs to be some tweets there, but maybe some tweaks, I should say. (laughs) There'll be tweets, Uh, but uh, not to the extent maybe that Netanyahu's proposing. Maybe they can find some middle ground there. And President Herzog is obviously trying very hard to do that. And I, I think a lot of senior Army and Navy and Air Force leaders will be behind the scenes doing the same because certainly they can't lose the cohesion of the military forces
1: well i I believe the hope is that certainly Benjamin Natanyahu, a seasoned politician, if there ever was one, is going to wait for the right time to step in here, and hopefully crisis will be averted well. This new government, and it was interesting you brought up the fact that if elections were held today, results might be a little bit different, but elections do have consequences, and this new government affects the way Israel is going to govern, and there's going to be some small changes, and uh, there's two situations, two issues that we look at quite often here on this program. One is the area of the West Bank, or Judea and Samaria, as we like to call it, the biblical name, but it's a disputed territory between the Palestinians and the Israelis, and also the Temple Mount. Both of these issues are in the news this week. Can you talk about that, David?
3: Well, yes, uh, I'll begin with the Temple Mount. Basically, the government leaders announced that they would maintain, as in previous years, a ban on Jews praying on the Temple Mount during the last 10 days of Ramadan, the Islamic month of fasting that's coming up uh, in mid-March this year. And that angered Itamar ben gavir the uh, security minister, police minister. He said, "No way. We need to, you know, allow Jewish prayer because the last three of those ten days, uh, Rick, will be the last three days of Passover. During the first portion, Israelis will be, you know, have trouble getting up there, and then the last uh, three days, totally banned from being up there. And the Muslims go up during Ramadan. Many of the men and they sleep up there. They stay overnight." And basically, this has been what's happened before. And it just shows, again, that the Netanyahu government is not so radical. It's trying to hold to these previous positions that previous governments enforced and is not just, you know, running roughshod. It it again shows that Netanyahu's statement that I'm ultimately in control is true because the religious parties weren't so thrilled with this. But as I said, the two ultra-Orthodox parties don't allow Jews to go up at all onto the Temple Mount because you might accidentally walk over the side of the Holy of Holies, which is forbidden to be in. And so um, that goes on. And at the same time, Rick, we have uh, more reports of uh, Israeli homes being built in Judea and Samaria. Uh, Peace Now says 7,000 new units are being planned, whether that's part of the 10,000 that the government itself announced uh, a couple weeks ago or not is not clear, but that raised a big stir. And we had the UN vote that you and I talked about last week, and the Security Council brought up by the Palestinians uh, to condemn Israel for uh, planning any new homes in Judea and Samaria— and it passed unanimously, but including the United States, but the US, the Biden administration was able to water it down instead of it being a binding, as they call it, a Security Council resolution, that means this is the force of law if the world wants to enforce it in some way. It was a presidential statement. That's one step down, and it's more or less, this is what we recommend. And uh, the United States proposed that and voted for that. Uh, the Netanyahu government responded strongly. The Prime Minister's office issued a very strong statement. I've quoted, it negates The rights of Jews to live in their historic homeland ignores Palestinian terror attacks, which have left 10 Israelis dead this month in Jerusalem, turns a blind eye to the fact that the Palestinian Authority subsidizes terror and pays the families of terrorists, that's all true, and diminishes the anti-Semitism that led to the murder of millions of Jews. Now, this resolution was supported by China and by Russia, Here you have Russia slaughtering thousands of people a week, uh, most of them civilians, uh, invading another country, uh, threatening World War III. And you have China basically saying, we're going into Taiwan, whether you like it or not. And you have the U.S. and others responding to those things. And here they are sitting doing what condemning Israel once again, for doing what building a few mm-hmm. thousand apartments in uh, Judea and Samaria. So that's just the reality of the world. But, uh, you know, the Israelis, again, it shows they don't really have the luxury of internal strong disputes right now. They have so many enemies and so much going on. It really, Rick, uh, after this latest incident clash, if you will, in Nablus, people are saying we are in a third Palestinian uprising. The violence is going to continue to escalate, and we have to deal with that as well as Iran and the other issues we're facing.
1: Well, David, that was going to be my next question to you. As we look at this situation, they have those internal threats as well, and they have to deal with those. Very serious. But we also now look at Iran, and I just had a conversation with Ken Timmerman, and we talked about how the uh, weapons-grade nuclear program that uh, Iran has right now has reached a point where they have the weapons that they need to be a nuclear power this week. Ken touched on this as well, but this week, Netanyahu said that they are ready to strike on Iran, and in fact, they even had some U.S. lawmakers in town to talk about this situation. Can you tell us from an internal Israeli political perspective, are they ready to face this situation with Iran?
3: Well, Rick, Israel's Channel 12 this week uh, reported something that uh, also Fox reported, that there have been several secret meetings, Channel 12 said five meetings in recent weeks between Netanyahu and his senior defense officials, the head of the Mossad, the Shin Bet, and others, to discuss... Military action against Iran, and apparently fairly soon. And uh, as you say, Netanyahu twice during the week made statements about how dangerous Iran is becoming. How we can't just sit back. He said we've waited too long, and the longer we wait now, the more difficult it will become. And that comes on top of a statement Friday from John Kirby at the White House at the Pentagon. Well, I guess he's at the White House now, but. He said that there is unprecedented defense cooperation developing between Russia and Iran. And he said, we believe Russia is preparing to supply fighter jets. To Iran and some other equipment now where they'll have the ability to do that with the war raging in Ukraine is a guess. But in other words, the White House is now confirming that the relationship between Russia and and Iran is becoming very, very strong, that they're continuing their military program in every way. And uh, yes, it's looking very much like we may have something going on in that uh, realm fairly soon, too. And again, it's not the first time Netanyahu's wanted to launch film action. He wanted to do that in 2012, but he was Opposed by his senior leaders They seem now to have ch- Defense officials I should say But um, they seem now to have Changed their view to that well it's pretty Obvious that Iran is working on a Nuclear weapons program We heard they have almost the Enriched uranium uh, That they need to build some bombs uh, They they have it it's just They have to upgrade it a little bit more and they Can go ahead could be done very very Quickly so uh, we're seeing All that and of course we're seeing Iran backing of Hamas and Islamic Jihad uh, increase and increasing terror and violence in Israel as a result. So all of those things combined say to me that we probably will see an IDF strike sooner than later, and hopefully it would be backed by Israel's allies. But of course, there's other things going on, and uh, it, it may not be the case. You can't really say what they're going to do.
1: Well, David, you often end your interviews on this program by saying pray for the peace of Jerusalem, pray for the nation of Israel, and we are directed to do that by Scripture. Certainly now Israel under fire, as always, but now seems to be ramped up even to a a new level. So we will continue to pray for Israel, and we will continue to listen to your reports. Thank you for doing this, David. Thank you for being on the program and educating our listeners. We look forward to talking to you again soon.
3: You're
0: very welcome,
3: Rick. God bless.
0: That was David Dolan. David, great job, and thank you for keeping us updated on what's taking place in Israel. We are always reminded the Jewish people still have a place in God's program. The fulfillment of all those covenants to the Jewish people will be fulfilled in the future. Uh, Coming up later on in the program, R.C. Murrow will come and uh, give us, as we take a look at the book, some information about the world system of the Antichrist coming into play, but I do want to remind you that when we talked about at the outset of the program the timeline, the Rapture, the seven-year tribulation period, the return of Jesus Christ, and then a one-thousand-year period of time where Jesus Christ sets up and rules in the city of Jerusalem, His earthly kingdom, and at the end of that would be the Great White Throne Judgment. R.C. Merle will come and talk to us about the system that is coming into place on the earth. Uh, Possibly a prototype, a person who fits the personality of the Antichrist. But right now I want to have Rob Congdon. Rob, we've got some important information that Rob is going to bring to us about is Jesus Christ King and the future of what that holds and when that will take place.
1: Well, that's right, Jimmy. We have Dr. Rob Congdon with us. Longtime listeners of the program will recognize that name. Hasn't been as much of a guest frequently because he's been very, very busy, but he is certainly a contributor to the program. Dr. Condon, thank you for being back with us.
6: It's so good to be with you, Rick, and to uh, have this time again to be with you and your listeners.
1: Well, before we get started, I'd like to just find out a little bit about what you're doing lately. Can you tell us, and, and, and I've looked at your teaching ministry online, and I'll ask you in just a second to give us some information about how our listeners can go there. But you have some really great series that you're putting together. I'd like to ask you about some of them, but could you tell us what you're doing right now?
6: Well, what we're working on is a study of the actually five different times in the scriptures speaking of the thrones of God. And we've separated them. The first throne that we have done a program already about is about God the Father and his throne in heaven. And then we will be doing a study about the throne of grace in which we talk about Jesus Christ's role as intercessory priest in heaven for us today, and we'll go through each of the thrones as they appear in the scripture, leading to the final, uh, the new heavens and new earth, which will then lead into a whole series on life in the new heavens and new earth, a a long study that we have done, and I've been privileged to present these studies in a small way in my own local church and the adult class that I teach And now we've expanded them, and we're going to be putting them on the Internet for all to read, to hear, or to watch, whatever is their best approach.
3: Well, that's
1: wonderful, and that's really one of the main reasons I talk to you, because this content is so great. We like people to come to our website, but we also encourage you to come to partner ministries that we agree with and that we feel put out great content. Now, can you give us the address to that website for listeners if they're interested in going to see it?
6: Well, certainly, it's of course nowadays you don't necessarily need www anymore, but it's wwwcmi dot cmi hyphen tv dot org. In other words, it's important that you put cmi but the hyphen then tv dot org. If you don't put the hyphen, you may never get to our site.
1: Well, Doctor Congdon, this new video series—this is the first of a five-part series, I believe—is up there, and so you'll see more coming as you continue to visit the site. And it looks like a great series. I'm, for one, I'm excited to listen to it, to watch it. But I wanted you to talk a little bit about a series that's up there. I think it's on your front page as well. It's a recent one that you did. It was entitled "When Will Christ Be King?" and asking and answering the question, is Jesus Christ a king today? Is he ruling from the throne of David in heaven, or is he not a king? Could you tell us the idea behind this message and what you're trying to convey from it?
6: Well, certainly. This is actually sort of a second message that goes along with all the other thrones of God. In today, in our world of true Christianity, uh, the churches are struggling over when is the kingdom of God, and christ when is he ruling as king Uh, on one side you have people saying he's ruling as king today on another side says no his kingdom and his ruling as king is future and kind of in between are people that just don't know really what the issue is and and just kind of casually talk about the kingdom of god but they don't really understand the biblical teaching and how important it is and and i stress that because if Christ is king today, that's the predominant view of Reformed Calvinistic theology. If that's true, then you have to, in my opinion, bend quite a bit of scripture to make that true. If Christ going to be king in the future, you need to understand why is he to be the king of the future. Now, before anybody gets upset, <laughs> and I always say this, I call him the Lord Jesus Christ because the word Lord means my master. And he is master of me. He governs me. He guides my thinking, my heart. So he is my Lord. But if you look in the scriptures, you'll find through the epistles, he's referred to Lord. And the only time he's ever referred to as king is in a future in the millennial kingdom. So it really is an issue that has to do with prophecy has to do with interpretation of the scriptures, a consistent interpretation. So it's actually a major issue in many churches today.
1: I love what you say there. Listen carefully. And you know, this is in scripture. You're looking at scripture. And God put it into Scripture for a reason, so we need to look at it and see what is he saying, why is he calling himself the king. Then, one of the statements that you make, understanding the kingship of Christ is crucial if you are to properly understand the Scriptures and its prophetic teaching. So not only your theology, but also your eschatology, correct?
6: Uh, absolutely correct. and And it goes well beyond that, because most people don't realize— From the very creation of all of God's creation, God has had a plan and a direction that is always leading to this ultimate point where Jesus Christ will rule in the new heaven and new earth along with God the Father as king. And so if we're going to understand how to connect the dots, if you will, of scripture, you've got to have the correct view of not only the past, the history, where God's going, but prophecy.
1: Well, I encourage our listeners to go to listen to this series so you understand, so you understand what it says. Uh, and again, we are not saying that Jesus Christ is not Lord or he's not sovereign, but specifically it does say when and uh, where he will reign as king. So a uh, very interesting series, great resource for our listeners, www.cmi-tv.org,
6: correct? cmi tv dot org
1: all right. And now I had a couple of other questions I'd like to ask you since we've got you on the program. A couple other topics, some uh, popular topics that uh, we've been talking about on this show, and maybe just an overall prophetic uh, question. But just to start out, uh, last week we talked a little bit about this Asbury Chapel revival. Many people have heard about it. And I thought that Pastor Rich Schmidt, uh, who Jimmy likes to call America's pastor, or at least our pastor, he did a really good job of explaining what's going on. At Asbury Chapel, and, and it was very thoughtful, and and we're uh, we're trying to be very careful, but if you could, I know I'm, I'm imagining you might have some thoughts on this. Could you share those thoughts with our listeners?
6: Well, I'd be glad to share some thoughts. I get emails all the time lately asking me about it. I have to tell you, to qualify, my answer is to start out by saying, I haven't been there, so I haven't participated in it. I haven't talked to people there. All I can do, like many of us, is look at the various media uh, output telling us about it. And at this point, I I preface this, I would love to see a real revival occurring in our churches. That's what's desperately Mm -hmm. needed in our country Mm -hmm. today. So I looked into this and thinking, could this be, you know, I've studied past revivals and characteristics of them. What I have noticed is a couple factors. Number one, in every media context I've read so far, I have not seen, and this may be happening there, but I have not seen any record of it, speaking about personal sin, about the need to receive Jesus Christ as their Savior to accept his death on the cross for their sins. That's been a complete absence from all the media that I have contacted it. That concerns me because I read over and over about the loving atmosphere, the people coming, being drawn to it, hugging it, and the warmth that's there. And I think we're in a day where there are Generation Z and the millennial generation and all the other millennial generations are seeking a warmth. They're feeling really society's falling apart around them. They're seeking that warmth and comfort of others. And so I can see that as a natural reaction, but I'm also looking for genuine salvation, and I just haven't read any accounts of that. The second part that concerns me, and this is where we get into prophecy, I believe we're in this final great apostasy era before the rapture of the church and then moving into the tribulation for those who (laughs) weren't raptured and taken out. Um, I would expect to see certain things, and I've had one of my... Uh, lessons, one of my videos has talked about this apostasy, and what I'm seeing here and concerns me at Asbury, it's a tremendous ecumenical movement. That's just pulling together people from all kinds of churches, denominations, beliefs, if you will, and what concerns me is every spokesman that has been in the media I've been looking at, other than some of the school people themselves, have been Roman Catholic. And so from my viewpoint, I see that this is a movement that is religious but per not perhaps not truly spiritual. And if that's the case, then we have to be aware that it's a false uh, event that may have forces that are coming not from God but elsewhere. And significantly, a lot of people being very religious, which as I said in my videos on apostasy... These are the very people who won't know Christ when the rapture comes. They won't be removed, but they will be religious, and they'll move right into the tribulation and be ready to follow a one-world religion of the Antichrist. So is this a real revival? I'm looking for evidence of it is, and until I meet someone who's been there that I can trust their witness, or until I go there myself, I'm very cautious about it right now.
1: I would put myself in the same camp and we're not here to attack Uh, as you said the church needs revival and we would love nothing more than to see true revival we are excited for these young students and i know young students are excitable and and i know there's a lot of emotion there let's just be weary let's continue to hear what's coming in and there are a few things like you said kind of the ecumenical position that's being taken there very wide-ranging which could be um, something that we need to be concerned about for sure. Well, thank you for bringing that up to talking about it a little bit. Let's just continue to pray for true revival in the church, correct?
6: Oh, absolutely. Um, At the stage that we're in and, and where I believe we are in world history, we need in our local churches to be praying and to be outreaching to people, to lead them to the Lord, for I believe the time is getting very short, and we have to work while, they, while we have the opportunity.
1: Amen. I agree with that as well. Well, my final question, and it builds on that just a little bit, uh, we know you're a student of Bible prophecy, even more than a student, you're a teacher of Bible prophecy, you're a teacher of theology, Dr. Congdon, as well as you keep an eye on what's taking place in the world. At Prophecy Today, as you know, we look at current events in the light of God's prophetic Word, as we see God setting the stage, putting these pieces into place for His end-time scenario that's clearly laid out in the Scripture. As you look at current events, as you look at things that are taking place in the world, Dr. Congdon, where do you see, what is maybe one or two key things that you see taking place in the world right now that makes you think, boy, the time is nigh, the rapture is near?
6: Well, I have to be honest, but I think the, the clearest indicator is what I see in churches in general. We're in a town that has over 300 independent and uh, conservative fundamental Christian churches. Okay, It's called the Bible Belt. In fact, it's called the buckle of the belt. <laughs> um, our church is a small church, and every Sunday we're getting a significant number of visitors coming every Sunday. And as I talk to them, I'm hearing over and over, I've been in the church that we're in for 30 years, 20 years, 10 years. It's changed. Their theology is changing. They're becoming strong in the Reformed Calvinist movement. Uh, No need for evangelism. No need for missions that are reaching out to lead people to Christ. They only support uh, missions that are helping the social justice movement. And so we're looking for a church that's still teaching the scriptures. And so as I surveyed over 300 churches in our area, I can count on two hands the number that I could recommend. What we have today is in the churches, they're moving away from the scriptures. Above all, they're dropping the teaching of prophecy because to teach that helps people understand where they are and motivates them to really grow in the Lord and mature because the days are getting shorter. And so I see the churches getting weaker. They're not taking stands against sin. They're not praying. Prayer meetings are diminishing in churches. And so the real power that the churches can have to affect the culture around them is diminishing quickly, just as I felt would be happening according to the scriptures and that's why I as I keep referring to it I urge people to go to our website and look up our series on the apostasy videos to understand where I think we are today the real sign that I see is the churches the secondary is I see there's worldwide complete rebellion against God and all that he created and uh we see that in just about every topic that's in the news today it's taking an anti-christian viewpoint Whether they say that or not, just look at it and compare it to the scriptures, and you see it's opposite. So things are getting to the point where we start saying, Lord, you must be coming soon. If not, it's hard to imagine how long you're going to allow the world to go in this course.
1: Well, Dr. Condon, excellent answer. And again, those are uh, completely in line with the way we feel here at Prophecy Today. And that is what we're doing is we're battling against that. We're trying to make sure that we're staying true to Scripture. What a a great answer. What a great uh, conversation that our listeners have been able to listen to. Uh, Dr. Condon. let's uh, not wait so long to do this again next time. Thank you so much for being here. And again, before you go, if you could just give us the name of that website one more time.
6: It's cmi-tv.org. That stands for Congdon Ministries International. And it is a pleasure to be with you. Always enjoy talking to you and being able to talk with you to your listeners. May the Lord bless each of you.
0: Well, we've got to take a break. And when we come back, Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and the Legacy Series right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. <laughs> Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung, Jr. Along with Rick, we've been examining current events in the light of God's prophetic word. Rick, uh, if people want to study God's word and (laughs) find resources, where could they go?
1: Jimmy, it would be great if they could go to prophecytoday.com. That is our website. That's where you can find out more about our ministry. You could donate to our ministry. You can find out when we take our Bible study trips to Israel. And I'm just going to give you a quick preview, Jimmy going forward in the future we're going to start really dropping the price on our DVDs we have gotten the chance to get our DVDs at a lower price and these are one of the best tools that we have all of our DVDs shot on location in the countries in Israel and Turkey and Rome and all of these different places all of these DVDs are teaching DVDs and we really feel like they're a great way for you to get information Take advantage of using these DVDs
0: to study God's Word. That's prophecytoday.com. Speaking of that, the Legacy Series, which is a very popular section of our broadcast on uh, Prophecy Today weekend, we're beginning a brand new study today, a study that has a significant connection to current events in our world today. This study will look into the scriptures to see how the return of Jesus Christ to the earth will actually take place. However, as we learn of the procedure for the second coming, we study as well how biblical Babylon, which is in modern-day Iraq, how this geographical location plays into the last day's prophetic scenario that could be found in Bible prophecy. First, we want to look at what Jesus said would happen before his second coming. The Lord told us what to look for leading up to this second coming in the Olivet Discourse, Matthew chapter 24. Take your Bible and go to Matthew 24 as we begin our study with Dr. Jimmy D Young and the Legacy Series.
7: Take your Bibles and let's go now to the book of Matthew chapter 24. Book of Matthew chapter 24. While you're going to Matthew 24, let me lay out for you this timeline that I've used for a number of years for the purpose of as I'm teaching, giving the people a visual in front of them so they can see how the end times are gonna unfold. I would say the wall is six thousand years ago and in six twenty-four hour days Jesus Christ created the heavens and the earth and all that in them is. At that period of time about six thousand years ago come along for four thousand years Jesus Christ comes lives died buried resurrects goes to heaven have a two thousand year distance between that event and the next event which is the rapture of the church Jesus shouts Archangel shouts, trouble God sounds and we're out of here to be with him that events the next event to happen it can happen at any moment there's a seven year period of time after that called the tribulation period this will be Revelation 4 to 19 16 chapters detailed information about this terrible time of judgment the tribulation period revelation chapter 19 when jesus christ Gets on a white horse steps out of the heavenlies and we come with him back to the earth he plants his feet on the mount of olives in the city of jerusalem after the battle of armageddon there's a thousand year millennial kingdom when jesus christ will be the head of a theocracy here on the earth and that's for a thousand year period of time at the end of that the great white throne judgment of which time jesus will be the judge he'll sentence those rejecting him in the lake of fire which is a second death and then eternity future new heavens new earth and new jerusalem and that would be revelation chapters 21 and 22. as you get a handle on the book of revelation you're going to become very aware of the fact that when jesus gave his olivet discourse on monday afternoon of passion week before he'd be crucified in a couple of the days that jesus christ in the olivet discourse especially recorded in matthew chapter 24 was laying out actually the book of revelation He was laying all the details out that would unfold in that period of time that john the revelator would be talking about in the book of revelation and so when you go to the book of matthew chapter 24 and look at it we can see how things are going to end in this period of history after the tribulation look with me at matthew 24. let me just remind you matthew 24 is not in any way referring to the rapture of the church the rapture of the church is not found in Matthew 24. First of all, the rapture of the church is for the people of the church, and the church has not even been established yet. It comes into place in uh, Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. And so when Jesus is talking to a group of Jews and maybe some Gentiles, he's not talking about the church and what's going to happen with them. In fact, the question is asked specifically by these men who have been traveling with him for a number of years look what he says here in verse three and as he sat upon the mount of olives the disciples came unto him privately saying tell us when shall these things be and what shall be the sign of thy coming the sign of thy coming now let me tell you something else christians are not looking for signs of the coming we're listening for a sound that will bring us to be with him in the heavenlies at the rapture of the church and so as we look at the scriptures we must discern that this is not talking about the rapture of the church these are going to be signs given to the jewish people leading up to his second coming now notice verse four and here's the most significant most important sign the number one sign that jesus will give verse four and jesus answered and he said unto them take heed that no man deceive you for many shall come in my name, saying that I am Christ, and shall deceive many. Look at verse 11. And many false prophets shall arise, and shall deceive many. Verse 24. For there shall arise false Christ and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. The number one sign that Jesus gives about his soon coming, the second coming, not the rapture, because the rapture is separated from the second coming by a seven year period of time but we're talking about the second coming of Jesus Christ and the number one sign deception verse 24 says the way he will communicate that deception will be through signs wonders and miracles now signs wonders and miracles are prevalent in our world today especially among so called Christendom i mean you can turn on any christian so-called christian tv network and see all kinds of signs wonders and miracles don't think that i don't believe that jesus christ or god the father or the holy spirit can not perform miracles i believe they can do whatever they want to i don't tell them what they can do but i do tell you what they say And this is what jesus said this is going to be an evidence you can recognize that i'm soon to be coming back to the earth by the way that corresponds with the first sealed judgment in revelation chapter 6 verses 1 and 2 which would be the man on the white horse which is uh, the appearance of the antichrist now here in chapter 24 again in verse uh, 6 you see and ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars see that you be not troubled for all these things must come to pass but the end is not yet for a nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom that corresponds with the second seal judgment in revelation chapter six and that would be verses three and four a man on a red horse who comes and takes peace from the earth and when you take peace then you have war going on in verse seven and there shall be famines the third sealed judgment a man on a black horse in chapter six coming forth and famine famine is rampant throughout the world we don't understand that in this uh, uh, this nation even though we're economically in trouble we still don't understand how it would be to be starving to death probably at any of the meals that you will have today you'll have more food than they will have most likely in a week of any part of their life famines he brings up into attention and corresponds with that judgment of the black horse in revelation chapter 6 pestilence Pestilence is one of those old King James words had to look it up to see what it meant I have a dictionary uh, written by uh, Noah Webster It's an 1828 publication of this dictionary and Noah Webster had the whole purpose in that dictionary of Defining every word in the King James Bible And so I went back to that and found out pestilence means pandemic disease pandemic disease leading to death that would be the fourth sealed judgment in revelation chapter six when one fourth of the earth's population is going to die earthquakes and in divers places these earthquakes unfolding in fact there was a i uh, i think a 4.6 earthquake in israel just this last week so earthquakes in divers places increasing as we move towards the the coming the second coming of jesus christ notice here in verse 15 it talks about something very important he's uh, giving the people a warning about the abomination of desolation when ye shall therefore see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniels stand in the holy place whoso readeth he him let him understand then let them which be in Judea flee unto the mountains the abomination of desolation is talking about when a temple stands at the midway point of the tribulation period the Antichrist is going to walk into Into the temple, 2 Thessalonians 2 4. He'll walk into the Holy of Holies. He will sit down to be worshiped at that particular location. This is exactly what the one who has energized him had in mind satan according to revelation chapter 13 energizes giving his power and seat of authority to the antichrist and satan said in isaiah chapter 14 in five of his i wills one of them i will be worshiped in jerusalem And so Antichrist walks into the temple. He sits down there, and indeed, he is going to be involved in getting the worship, which is the abomination of desolation. Once he has received that worship at the midway point, he's going to leave there. They'll put a statue that is able to talk and to move in there, and everybody in the world will be called on to worship that particular statue. And so again, we see all of these things unfolding. Now, and this is just going in almost perfect coordination with the book of revelation and if i had the time i would just go back and forth between the two i'm simply trying to introduce something to you what leads up to the second coming of christ as we go now to verse 29 of matthew 24 we see what does follow this seven year period of time matthew 24 verse 29 Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened and the moon shall not give her light and the stars shall fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. This is going to be at the time of the return of the Lord Jesus Christ at the end of the tribulation period. A number six seal in chapter six of the book of Revelation is a similar activity, but this will be only intensified. And in fact, we'll see this unfolding in the vile judgments that are unfolding in chapter 16 of the book of revelation when we see the sun becoming so hot it scorches men uh, so that they even gnaw their teeth in uh, gnaw their tongue with their teeth in pain Uh, but immediately after the tribulation he says this happens now look at verse 30 and then shall appear the sign of the son of man in heaven and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn and they shall see the son of man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory this is talking about the second coming of Christ. All of humankind does not see At the rapture of the church jesus christ in fact he is in the heavenlies to a certain extent uh, somewhere in the air somewhere in space and we're caught up to be with him at that time and so this is a different event than the rapture of the church again to give emphasis to that verse 31 and he shall send his angels now notice this please make note of this we'll come back to it and he shall send his angels with the great sound of a trumpet and they shall gather together his from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other there will be a trumpet sound i have a book entitled sound the trumpets which is plural the trumpet that will bring the church the Christian community into his presence at the rapture will be sounded at before the tribulation period starts. When Jesus Christ comes back, he turns to an angel, tells him to take a trumpet and blow it, and in essence, call a solemn assembly, bring all the Jews from out of every four corners of the earth and into the heavens and bring them to be with him there. There are two trumpet sounds of great significance in the future, one at the second coming of Jesus Christ, but the next trumpet sound will be the one at the rapture of the church, First Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 to 18. That's the sound, not the sign, but the sound that we are waiting for, the trumpet sound to take us up to be with Jesus in the heavenlies. We could hear that sound today. Make sure you're ready for that trumpet sound by knowing Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior.
0: Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and the Legacy Series. This week on a look at the book, we'll have special guest R.C. Merle join with us in one moment. We're going to take a break right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. <laughs>
4: It's Kramer with Mission Network News. Is it paranoia or a potential plot? Either way, Moldova is still concerned about a possible Russian-fueled coup in the country. Moldovan President Maya Sandu has gone so far as to ban local soccer fans from attending a soccer match against a Serbian team. Russia, meanwhile, denies the accusations. Eric Mock with Slava Gospel Association says there's a strong network of churches in Moldova, and no matter what happens, the believers there are ready to be Christ's ambassadors. Join us in praying for peace. And prison conditions in Kenya haven't changed much since the early 1900s. Life can be incredibly disturbing and hopeless. Mission Cry ministers in a Kenyan women's prison distributing Bibles. Jason Wolford with Mission Cry says these Bibles are radically changing lives, and women are beginning relationships with Jesus. You can see pictures from the ministry and ways to get involved at missionnews.org. Mission Network News, a service of one way ministries. I'm Ruth Kramer.
5: Every believer needs to understand Bible prophecy. Whether you're a novice or a student, we are here to help you. Just visit prophecytoday.com and click on the link for the Prophecy Bookstore. There you will find a large selection of CD sets, DVDs, and books for the Bible Prophecy Student written by Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and other prominent scholars. While you're there, be sure to check out Dr. DeYoung's latest series called Presidents, Politics, and Prophecy. This series examines how God has used human leaders in general and specifically
0: Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung, Jr. And along with Rick, we've been examining current events in the light of God's prophetic word. Watching the news every single day, you really do see there's so much to focus on. And I was talking with my next guest, R.C. Merle. R.C., welcome to the program.
8: Hey, Jimmy, good to be back with you. Yes,
0: sir. And, you know, you and I were talking before we went on air here that, uh, you know, when you wake up every morning and you do this every single day, you're scouring websites. You don't even know where to start, do you, sometimes? <laughs>
8: You know, it's, it's really true. I, I, you know, in the, in the past month or two, things have just been coming so fast. Mm. I get up, I'm usually up very early and I start scouring headlines and I have my list that I go to, but, and usually I, it's easy for me to find one, two or three that I could put up to get the day started and then but lately jimmy it's, it's, i could i could see 10 that yeah, i could put up right yes. away and it becomes down to selecting which one is the most effective which is the one that has the most prophecy potential in it and it's uh it's got it's got to be quite challenging
0: yes it has and you know we do that because we we have a, a very good understanding of bible prophecy and that's what really helps us to pick these stories of the ones that we're looking at to bring to everyone's attention. And you sent me an article, Tony Blair, now this is interesting, Tony Blair plans for every Briton to have a digital ID. And that brought back a conversation we had on December 31st of 2022, when I asked you for a prediction of what to look for in 2023. And you said this, there is no question about what I feel is the next big trend and that is for a U.N. plan to impose a global health and vaccine ID for everyone on Earth in tandem with the World Health Organization. Jimmy, I'm no prophet, but with the
8: coming cashless society that will be made possible by central bank digital currencies, it just seemed to me that if the government can control money, all they would need for complete control of their citizens is Mm. to control health care, By means of a digital ID that would have their passport, driver's license, vaccination dates, tax and financial records, right to work status and any other personal information, the government would deem important. You know, and and Tony Blair, Sir Tony Blair, I should say, has attempted to introduce this type of thing uh, into when he was on Downing Street. And and it's rumored, actually rumored that uh, Tony Blair could become the next chairman of the World Economic Forum.
0: Oh, that's that's amazing. Since Klaus Schwab is 82, and they're already talking about his replacement, which, as you said, is Tony Blair. We've talked about that, and I said, RC, we've got to focus on this. Well, since then, it's not even two months ago, national IDs have been popping up in unexpected places. Tell us about it. It
8: really true. On January 20th, 2023, the last day of the World Economic Forum 2023 meeting, former UK Prime Minister, we're going to pick on Tony Blair again, raised more than a few eyebrows calling for a digital infrastructure to monitor and quote unquote new vaccines. He said this, you need to know Who has been vaccinated? Who hasn't been? As new vaccines come down the line and there will be multiple shots, he said. We have got to have the proper digital structure and most countries don't have it.
0: Now, that's interesting. You know, and going back to Tony Blair, R.C., you you and my father had talked about this. He had talked about it in the. In the early 2000s, Tony Blair possibly being the perfect prototype for the Antichrist, being in that position, and it seems like his name is popping back up again. Well, it didn't take long, but there are two more posts coming from unusual places like the one from East Palestine, the scene of the worst train derailment with toxic chemicals in U.S. history causing mayhem in Ohio. Yeah, the headline read "East Palestine launched a digital ID program days before
8: the disaster. This one really surprised me uh, and the campaign push to get a, a digital ID was sounded harmless. It was done in conjunction with the East Palestine fire department. They mm-hmm. said they're they're partnering with my ID to provide an easy method to provide valuable medical information to first responders in in, in an emergency, so it sounds extremely harmless, but as good citizens. If we give the government all of our information, bureaucrats are going to keep tabs of our whereabouts and our behavior and everything we do.
0: Yes, it sure is. You know, and I just took a a test today screening. I got my shingles. I'm not giving a commercial for the shingles vaccine. I don't and I don't really I'm not a vaccine person, but. I had to give all my information, which they're going to put in a database, and they'll be able to track us, and this is a part of that. That's incredible. And what about your post from Thursday? Biden giving the World Health Organization authority over United States sovereignty. Yeah, Jimmy, a Google
8: search of this article uh, will produce uh, mainstream headlines to say that this just isn't true. But if you look at what what World Net Daily posted on this, it looks suspiciously like what Tony Blair is trying to do in the UK. Mm. And here's what they said, the World Health Organization, a subsidiary of the United Nations run by a team of bureaucrats in Geneva, soon could have the power to dictate lockdowns, vaccination mandates, social distancing, and much more, even surveillance of US citizens. Joe Biden is getting ready to sign the U.S. to a legally binding deal that would give international politicians authority to make decisions for America during a pandemic.
0: Wow, that's amazing. Okay, R.C., we've got this information. How do we make it all fit in with what Bible prophecy says?
8: Jimmy, on November 15th, 2022, the New York Federal Reserve announced a 12-week central bank digital currency pilot program to be conducted with banking giants like Citigroup, HSBC Holdings, MasterCard, and Wells Fargo. The project, which was called the Regulated Liability Network, was to be conducted in a test environment and, and use simulated data, according to the New York Fed. What is curious is that while the pilot program should have ended in mid-February, the results are for some reason not being reported. So an old idiom comes to mind, future events cast a shadow before them, which Colossians 2.17 calls the shadow of things to come, points us to a coming world government where one man, who Revelation 13.1 calls the beast, has previously unheard of power over men and nations. His name, as you know, is Antichrist.
0: Very interesting information. We do see a world system coming into place, moving faster than Uh, we've ever seen it move before. And uh, folks can go to prophecytracker.org, the website. R.C., your website, you're going to have many other items there for people to look at, correct? Yeah, Jimmy,
8: we'll have everything we spoke about today, all the articles um, that that we spoke of in addition to the video of Tony Blair at the World Economic Forum.
0: R.C., thank you again for what you do and your website, uh, keeping us aware of this information so that we as believers, might know where we are in the end times. Thanks, R.C. We'll look forward to talking to you again.
8: Thank you, Jimmy. God
0: bless. As we bring our program to a close today, I hope that you can see through the events that we cover as we examine them through Bible prophecy how close that we are to the rapture of the church. Let's keep looking up until... Thank you so
5: much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today.